All right, here we are with uh, another episode. It's been a little while. Another episode been, of the uh, w- WRHS Marvel Podcast. Uh, it's uh, just a, a duo today. It is Mr. Geary. I'm here with, uh, of course, Eric Mead. Hello. And uh, we are talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. The latest Ooh. offering, the 31st movie in the MCU, uh, the first film of Phase 5, uh, the third film with uh, Ant-Man in it, second one with Ant-Man and the Wasp, so lots of uh, lot of numbers here, a lot of things to get into, a lot of uh, talk about this movie, and uh, we're going to get into it all in a moment here on the uh, WHS Marvel Podcast. Uh, stick around. All right, we're back here. It's uh, Mr. Geary. It's Eric. So uh, before we begin, we should probably talk some parameters of this podcast, uh, Eric. As you probably know, um, been a lot of talk about Ant Man, the Wasp, Quantumania. Uh, yes. Been a lot of talk about. Been a lot of talk about the talk about the movie, really. And I feel like some of it has not been fair. Some of it. Uh, has not been uh, accurate. Um, Talking about um, its low critical ratings, Uh, it has a low rating on Rotten Tomatoes. If you um, take that that seriously, uh, it is the lowest rated Marvel movie on um, Rotten Tomatoes. Which is ridiculous. Uh, A lot of prominent critics have come out and uh, not cared for it. Um, the, the, the positive critical, um, appraisals of the movie have been rare. Um, and that has led to a lot of talk of, um, you know, what's wrong with Marvel. And, um, I don't really want to get into too much of that today. Cause I don't think that's accurate or fair. I think we should talk about the movie as we judged it and not about the, um, the surroundings of it. But I do think we should talk about the, uh, the kind of the zeitgeist around the movie uh, a little bit. So, um, with that being said, let's get into our thoughts on it. Uh, Eric, what were your your initial thoughts on uh, Ant Man the Wasp: Quantumania? What did you think about it? So, I heard all the critic stuff going in because I saw it a few days after the release, and I ignored it all because I hate listening to the to what critics say. I like going and making my own evaluation. Um, so, I went that the following weekend. It was Sunday um with a few friends and i thought it was wonderful i thought um and this is what i thought before going in little weird to start it off to start off phase five with an ant-man movie of all people i thought that was strange but as a movie i thought it was great i thought it was wonderful kang was a great villain um paul rudd is always wonderful um it it had but i thought it had an interesting storyline it gave a lot of more context to kang which i was really looking for after loki um and the uh, overall experience was just good. The end credit scenes were good. It felt like a good length for a movie. I liked it more than the majority of the um, Phase 4 movies. Um, Spider-Man was, was the best Phase 4 movie. And this was, Spider-Man was better than this. Um, but uh, it was, I felt it was better than Multiverse of Madness and Love and Thunder. Okay, yeah, I um I too went into this with uh I, I went into it with very low expectations. 
Uh, I went into this with a lot of trepidation because I'd heard the critical talk about it. And um, I mean, I love Marvel. I love everything they do. I like the way they tell the stories. I love the MCU. Um, but I have thought that some of the films in phase four uh, have been showing their seams a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I was a little worried and I too um, enjoyed this movie a great deal. Uh, it is definitely flawed. I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I mean, I definitely think it's the, the, my least favorite of the three Ant-Man movies, but uh, overall I did enjoy the movie. I, um, I enjoyed it more than some of the um, phase four movies. Um, and um, we can talk about what we enjoyed. So uh, what, what did you enjoy in it? And we should probably say too, moving forward, uh, we're going to talk spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, um, probably should uh, pause it, go see the movie, then come back and listen to our takes. But, uh, well, I asked you what you liked about it, but you told me, Ray. So let's talk about actually some of those. So you mentioned about introducing Kang in an Ant-Man movie. And, um, you know, I have listened to some podcasts about that. Uh, I enjoy particularly the Ringers, uh, Ringerverse podcast when they talk about this stuff. Um, and their opinion is kind of the same as mine. I think it's an interesting move and I think it's a good move. Um, I don't think they pull it off completely successfully, but, um, I like the idea that the next big bad and, uh, that's Kang of course is introduced in what has kind of been considered one of their minor, you know, franchises within the franchise, the Ant-Man movie. And, um, you know, I like the idea of something very serious bumping up against something very silly. And that's, you know, Kang and his ambitions bumping up against kind of the shenanigans of the Ant-Man world. Yeah. You know, that's very comic booky to me. I feel like, you know, that makes sense in the in the in the in the world of comic books. And, you know, people sort of have short memories, I think. Um, you know, Thanos was kind of a lot of his story was sort of fleshed out, even though we saw him before it. But, um, you know, we got a sense of who he was going to be in the first uh, Guardians movie, I believe. And the Guardians, of course, are another sort of, um, you know, kind of silly franchise within the bigger franchise. So I like the idea that you had two sort of minor Ant-Man movies. And then the third one, again, not completely successfully, but sort of pivoted and uh became a bigger movie in the marvel world um you know they they've done this before in some of the other uh series within the mcu they sort of pivoted with the third one or the fourth one or whatever you know of course the thor movies you know thor ragnarok kind of did the opposite inverted this the first two were kind of serious the third one was silly Very and silly. um you know but wonderful ragnarok is is rightly so considered one of the absolute best of the Marvel movies. And this one kind of did the opposite. They took uh, something kind of silly and made it a little serious. Um, and we could talk about some of the things they lost because of that uh, right now. So what are your thoughts on that? What they lost? Um, I don't know, really. I, I feel like they they might lose a little bit of, I don't know, definitely, obviously critical respect um, from putting Kang in with Ant-Man, but 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel what people, what people are losing out on is that it, like, this is a variant of Kang. Um, like this isn't the actual, like the actual Kang. It's a variant of him. Cause as you see in the, uh, um, and credit scene, there's a whole bunch of variants of him. Well, no, I think, I think this is the Kang. This is Kang prime. This is the Kang. This is the Kang. Yes. You missed all that. Yes. This is the Kang. This is the one. And that's kind of the whole premise of the story that he is the one who is, um, who has been uh, exiled into the quantum realm by the other Kangs, including uh, He Who Remains, who we saw in Loki. This is Kang Prime. He's not a variant. This is the one guy. All the others are the variants, supposedly. Okay, that I, I missed out on that then. I missed out on that then. Uh, what I meant with what's getting lost in, you know, people talk, you know, we don't get to see the ex-cons in this movie. Uh, we don't get Luis in this movie. Um, sort of what you get at the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie, Scott Lang sort of bopping around San Francisco, reading his book, uh, which I thought was just brilliant stuff. And it's it's what app, you know Paul Rudd absolutely exceeds at. We lose a lot of that in the bigger world of the quantum realm. And um, you know, you don't get sort of that kind of Paul Rudd charm and silliness that you got in the first two because it gets sort of subsumed within the quantum realm. Um, so I, I felt like that's a bit of a sacrifice. Um, we lose out on some of the characters from the original movie. Like we don't get Cassie's mom or, or um, her stepdad. Um, you know, those two characters, Scott's ex-wife. Uh, yeah. We don't get his world in San Francisco that much. Instead, we get, you know, the quantum realm. And that being said, I had much less of a issue with that as a lot of critics have. Um, I like this movie because it sort of all takes place within that world, the quantum realm. It's like a bottle episode. He's left San Francisco. He gets sucked out of there and he gets brought into uh, the quantum realm. Uh, what did you think of the quantum realm? I really liked it. I I, uh, I know a lot of people were saying it's like too much CGI, but it's a superhero movie. Like, I don't know what you're expecting. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. I thought the characters down there were cool. I really loved Bill Murray. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was nice, though. What would you think? Um, I liked it. I mean, yeah, I thought the CGI in this movie looked a lot better than it has in kind of some of the, the 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 recent Marvel movies again. That's been More another kind of talk of um, talk of uh, of the media and people that cover this about sort of the uh, you know maybe less than finished uh, VFX these movies. I thought it was kind of fully realized. I thought it was super bizarre looking. I thought this movie did a better job of bringing that kind of trippy, weird marvel of like the 70s to yeah. life better than like the doctor strange movies did Definitely. um i thought you they create a really bizarro world with strange characters um and i i liked it i thought it was it was it was weird it was cool um so i like that aspect i do think there was you know like so many of these recent movies again 
I thought there was opportunity for more that they sort of lost out on. Like, uh, you know, I don't think there's any way around, you know, talking that when you create a world that's completely CGI, it, it loses a bit of substance. Like, you know, you have these three, you know, all the actors are within this world. And I would have liked to have learned more about what this world is all about, how it works, what, you know, after a while, it just sort of reminded me of another Marvel planet. Like they could have yeah. been in space. Like what's different about being in the quantum realm? You know, there's this world that's microscopic. You know, I wish they had spent a little more time thinking about what that world would really look like. What would it exist as? Um, what happens down there? What are the rules of, of existence in this world? Um, why are there people there? You know, I thought that was sort of like, who are those people and why are they there? And why do they just look like more kind of humans and aliens? I would have liked to get um, more thoughts about the quantum realm and how it exists. Also within its own, you know, Ant-Man and Wasp logic, you know, the, the logic of those films in the past, I thought it was sort of made known that you could kind of communicate down there or at least cassie figures out how she can communicate um and find people but then it seems like when they got in there um no one could find them i think it, it would have worked better if there had been part of the movie that still existed outside and somebody was trying to find them or trying to get in there like i thought it was strange that you know scott seemed to get stuck in there janet got stuck in there yeah, they were able to seem to get out of there at the end by creating that machine. I don't know. I, I, I wish they had thought out the quantum realm a little bit better. Also, too, what I thought was weird, like, did time pass when they were in there? Like, I thought that aspect of the quantum realm kind of was forgotten in this film. Like, when they were down there, were they gone for, for 20 years? I thought that was sort of the, the thing with the quantum realm that five minutes was or five hours was five years. I mean, that was Scott's whole thing in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, you know, wasn't it? Yeah, I had that same question, actually. I, I, I was asking that. Uh, I was talking about that with the people I went to see the movie with. They never mentioned whether or not, uh, like, how long it had been, how long they'd been down there. Because, like, in the, in the context of the actual movie, it was at least, a, like, a few days, right? I, it was a little unclear. Everything got a little unclear down there, um, including, you know, and this is another aspect I felt like that was lost and is sort of so key to the Ant-Man movies. Kind of the whole idea of his power set is shrinking and getting big. And I felt like that was used to wonderful effect in the first two movies. You know, we had the, at the end of the first one, the great battle in the suit in the briefcase. Um you know, where he's shrinking and running over like the, the calculator and the pens and the stuff in the briefcase. And then there was the Thomas train set piece. Um, yeah. And then in the second one, you had him in, uh, in hopes or shrinking, getting bigger. In this one, I, you know, everybody shrunk. So it's sort of lost, you know, what exactly his power set helps him down there. So, um, you know, I think that was lost, but, but, to not be so negative, um, like like we said, I think we both liked how the quantum realm looked. Um, I think it was cool looking. It was weird looking. It was strange looking. Um, 
The characters were weird. Um, I, I I think it was an interesting idea that 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 Kang was banished down there in a place where no one would think to look for him or find him right. down in the quantum realm. So I think that was cool. Um, let's talk about Kang. So sounds like, you know, is played by the great Jonathan majors, one of our great actors. Um, you know, he definitely already, you know, I've read some things about him where he said the reason he took this role was the idea of the allure of playing all the Kangs. And already we've seen him, you know, this Kang is very different from the one he played in, um, in Loki, you know, he who remains is, is a lot more sort of kind of arch and flip. Uh, he moves around a lot. He's fidgety. You know, he sort of famously eats the apple throughout his whole speech there. And then Kang in this movie is very still, very menacing, um, sort of um glowering um I, I really liked that i like that character i like that actor in that role um i think he's a a great character do we think his do we think the characterization of kang in this was completely successful not I the performance think. i think the performance was great but do we think um the 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 characterization was as good as it could have been. I do think that um, the Kang character is good. Um, I think that they should have, now that I know that he's not Kang Prime, I think- Oh, um, he is Kang Prime. Yes, now that I know that he's Kang Prime, I, I think they definitely could have made him a little stronger, I guess. Um, because he was like so so like conniving and like intelligent and clever um but then he ends up getting beat like at the end by like i mean say you want but ant-man's still ant-man like i don't know yeah i, I just felt like they like i don't know they could have made it more uh, you know I, what i'm trying to say uh, yeah i thought i mean it was strange because the scene in the prison, which I think is one of the best scenes in the movie, definitely, where it's just him, Cassie, and Scott, and he is just sort of menacing the two of them just with a finger tap. Like, so it's made clear he has these sort of powers. Yeah. And yet at the end, you know, he's sort of overpowered by all the fight. It comes down to a fist fight. Yeah, it, it, oh, that's exactly. Scary. And that's one of the the sort of the the, the worst kind of tropes of the, the Marvel movies where, yeah, it came down to a fist fight at the end. Um, you know, again, I wish uh, they could have explored more about his time down there. Like how did he become like, again, I thought one of the better scenes in the movie was between him and Michelle Pfeiffer when they, she first encountered him and he talks, you know, about where am I? And, and, you know, yes. what am I doing here? What is this place? And then, you know, she unwittingly helps him build his ship. And then that scene when, you know, she discovers what his true motivations are and he sees that she knows who he is, that look on his face was great. I wish we would have got more of him and Janet down there in that dynamic um, because you're right. For someone who's supposed to be the next big bad, 
he seemed like it, it was unclear what his motivations were exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I like when he talked more. You know, this is definitely as odd as it sounds for, for what this movie was. I think it would have worked better if there was more talking in it. You know, when he explained what he was and who he is and um, the idea that, you know, he needs to be out there because he's seen what's coming. You know, that line where he says, I, I know how it ends. I see what's coming. Yeah. Um, and the idea that uh, if he's not there, the other Kangs are going to come after him and start this time war. Uh, I thought that was interesting. You know, I kind of wish there had been a little bit more of that, maybe a little bit less of, uh, you know, the, those battles between these characters I don't really care about. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I wasn't. Was, uh, that was uh, my, also my criticism of Thor Love and Thunder. I, I think we talked about it was that they don't all, like in this movie, they did a better job than Thor Love and Thunder, but we need more background. Like we need more like actual plot points instead of um, just action, 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 jokes, jokes, jokes. And this, yeah, we definitely did a lot better job than Thor Love and Thunder, but there's still room for more. Um, I think they're making the cardinal sin that they always avoided and that DC kind of made, whereas like, you know, the 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 whole magic of the um of the uh infinity saga was that you know these characters built up and we got to know them over time, and Thanos was teased throughout and everything built up to kind of this crescendo in um Infinity War and um, Endgame where, uh, you know, we cared about these characters and we were invested in them. We kind of had their motivations. We could sort of understand their perspective. And with phase four and now phase five, I feel like it's being rushed a little bit. Yes. Um, and we, we don't, we don't know exactly why, why Kang is so bad. And, and we don't, you know, kind of, care exactly about how he's interacting with these people in the quantum realm because they're just sort of cgi creations um you know we mentioned michelle pfeiffer's character let's talk about some things that did work in this so um you know i thought the family aspect of this worked very well you got the whole ant family um i love Michelle Michelle Pfeiffer to me is the uh, the MVP of this movie. I thought she was great in this. Um, I thought you had the second Marvel movie in a row, you know, with Wakanda Forever coming right before this, where you had an older actress who was given this great, you know, action role in a comic book movie, and they kind of just let her cook, you know. Um, and I thought she was I thought she was great in it. I enjoyed Michael Douglas a great deal in this movie too. too. Um, for the fairly, you know, ridiculousness of, you know, Michael Douglas, one of our great actors, a great director in his own right, an Oscar winner. And he's, you know, directing ants, telepathic ants uh, <laughs> throughout the movie and flying a, a ship with like some jelly controls. Um, you know, so I like that. I thought him and Michelle Pfeiffer were great together. Um, I enjoyed the the dynamics of that, and they're they're running around the quantum realm with their grown daughter Hope. Um, so I liked all of that um, a lot. You know, I know there's been some criticism that you know this family was sort of thrown together, and we don't get time to kind of you know 
enjoy their scenes but i enjoyed the scene that you know with the pizza at the beginning a great deal and the kind of yeah. sitting around the table um so i love that aspect and i think that is one of the aspects of the ant-man franchise that works and that they kept in this the idea of family and family aspect and you know these families sticking together uh played by all these actors um that that we we we, we know and that we like um so i like that aspect a great deal um did you find it very strange though again that michelle pfeiffer's character janet van dyne uh never mentioned kang to her family in the years since she's gotten out of the quantum realm that so seemed weird. very strange you know a strange decision made solely as a plot device here yeah i agree it's very very weird she never mentioned kang um and i think that's back to my other point about the plot point it's like they're afraid to make the movie longer like they made endgame a three-hour movie like like put that in there even if it takes you know, 10 15 minutes of explaining put it in there because that's that's like what we need to well put that in there and take out you know these battle scenes with all these cgi characters and this revolution at the end that again we don't kind of care about that much yeah. like i cannot get invested in the uh the uprising of the uh the people of the quantum realm you know people that we're never going to see again probably these characters so uh i agree with that yeah i thought that was very weird and only exists so that they could kind of cobble together this plot like you live in a world where thanos exists so you've encountered a thanos level madman why wouldn't you tell someone why wouldn't you tell right. your son-in-law who's an avenger about this um it seems seemed like a very weird choice to make and no explanation why she made that choice like if if it's a reason that you know she was um you know traumatically you know ptsd or something or something happened between the two of them you know we don't get any of that um yeah i heard if i heard a theory today on a podcast that she didn't mention him because what was the theory she never encountered the real i i had something to do with her getting out before he was exiled in there but that doesn't make sense because she encountered him we had the scene with him so i i don't know i don't know why why she would not have mentioned him to her family yeah it was definitely a weird choice because the whole movie could have been avoided by oh there's this guy down there kang who wants to like enslave all of everyone and conquer everything but um i, I don't i don't know it, it was definitely a weird choice um and I'm, I'm hoping they avoid this in future movies and just add more well, to the plot that's what i want to talk about here maybe we'll take a, a little break in a moment here and talk about what we want to see moving forward i would like to talk a little bit about sort of the conversation around marvel and if it's uh if it's warranted or if it's a lot of much ado about nothing um but did you have any other thoughts about the film i i, I feel like we're being real negative I think we both agree we did like this movie. I did enjoy this movie. Um, I, I, uh, I, you know, I liked it as much as I liked another sort of critically reviled entry in in the Phase Four of uh, Marvel, Thor: Love and Thunder. I did enjoy Thor: Love and Thunder, um, and I thought much like Thor: Love and Thunder, 
this one at least had kind of a self-contained story and a self-contained movie. It didn't exist just to kind of introduce other characters and squeeze in plot points from elsewhere. You know, I thought Wakanda Forever suffered from that. I thought Doctor Strange uh, suffered from that, uh, Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Um, you know, at least this one wasn't introducing, you know, a uh, new character. It's going to be the, well, it did. It, it did introduce a new character, but I thought it was kind of organic. Like, I like the way Cassie was worked into this as one of the young Avengers. I thought that worked a lot better than America Chavez was worked into um, uh, the uh, Doctor Strange movie and the way Ironheart was worked into uh, Wakanda Forever. At least here, she has a reason to exist. She's Scott's daughter. Um, and and I, I found her performance charming and uh, I enjoyed seeing her in this. I thought it added some gravitas to this movie. Um, so what, uh, what, what, what do you have to say about that? I did like, uh, Cassie Lang and I do agree with you about, um, America Chavez and, and Ironheart, uh, just kind of being thrown in there. I'm, I'm so happy they're introducing all of the young Avengers. Um, I feel like that will be a cool sort of avenue to go down in the future because we've got most of them, if, if not all of them already, um, with at least one appearance. So, and I did like Cassie in the movie. Um, I found her to be slightly annoying at points, but I think that's by design. Like that's how she was written. Um, so I think that was good on them. And one other character I want to talk about is Modoc. I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, we didn't even get into Modoc. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> why don't we take a break here? Because uh, yeah, there are a few other aspects. Actually, I said we we're gonna move ahead to uh, another segment but uh there were actually a few other things i want to talk about here uh that we didn't mention that i just remembered um including um when scott runs into all the possibilities of the other scots um so let's take a quick break and then we'll uh pick up these threads that we kind of forgot to talk about in the earlier segments so let's take a quick break here and we'll come right back on the uh whs marvel podcast stay tuned All right, uh, Eric, so you want to talk about Modoc? What do you have to say about Modoc? I thought he was really funny, um, which I don't know. Normally, normally I would have been upset by how they how they did Modoc in this movie because he was just so goofy. But I think it really fit for the movie. Um, I'm a I'm I'm a little disappointed they killed him. I'm 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 upset by that, but I think it's really cool that they made it Darren Cross um from the uh first movie and i'm i'm uh or from the second movie which movie that was the first he's movie. in the first one yeah yeah i'm really happy they made it darren cross from the first movie um and i think it really fit well for the context so i i thought it was a good addition to the movie i like that he was working with kang and everything yeah, I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was, yeah. again, you have, much like in the comic books, you have these sort of super serious bad guys working with these sort of ridiculous villains. Yeah. Um, you know, it's comic booky. So I did enjoy it. I liked the way they retconned him, that Darren Cross was sent into the quantum, quantum realm, and this is what happened to him. Uh, I thought it was funny and weird. You know, I, I didn't think all the jokes worked. I thought... I thought maybe a little less of Modoc would have worked better. 
again, I don't know why they had to kill him off at the end. You know, I would have kept him around for other things. Um, but I did enjoy that. So I liked Modoc in this movie. Um, you know, again, you're getting some classic Marvel villains here with him and Kang. Um, not the most perfect representations of them, but I definitely think it was weird and funny. Um, and I thought it was one of the best lines in the movie when he was on his way out and he says, you know, at least I get to die an Avenger. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Rudd gives his best, you know, Paul Rudd reaction to that. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, speaking of Paul Rudd in this, um, I, I liked, again, I think a the film sort of touched on an interesting idea. And then like so many kind of recent Marvel offerings did not explore it fully. And I thought the scene where it's him, and all the possibilities of him uh, existed. I thought that was a really interesting set piece um, that was sort of wasted a bit in this film. Uh, late in the film, he, he uh, enters the, what is it called? The possibility field or the, the, the potential like potentiality field or something. Well, anyways, every different kind of variation of scott lang's life kind of exists all at once there and he encounters himself um and you know for a movie that we thought at least in the trailers remember the trailer that had the line about him offering scott lang more time yeah and then the movie really wasn't about that at all um but but this was another idea where he could have you know they could he, he encountered himself in the many different possibilities of himself and the many different variations of his life but doesn't seem to learn anything or talk to him self and then when all the scott langs finally start working together and they cleverly form kind of like an anthill um i thought that wasn't kind of explored enough the idea that you know you had you had an opportunity there for two aspects of that character to really shine through the idea that he's ant-man and finally his ant powers are, are are serving a purpose and they're forming this sort of human ant-man hill to to gain his goal but also the idea that throughout this infinite amount of ant-men the one thing that stays true among all of them is their love for their daughter. And that's what gets them all pulling in the same direction. I don't know. I thought that moment was not completely brought to fruition. Um, and I thought, frankly, that should have been the end of the movie. Like that's how the movie should have ended with him. Finally, a reason why Ant-Man is in this movie, why that or why Kang is in an Ant-Man movie and Ant-Man is acting like, an ant and the ants are coming you know i thought that worked way better than um hank showing up with the ants at the end and them just swarming kang um what did you think of uh of that scene of the the field of potentials or what have you i i really liked it i thought it was an interesting concept uh and uh i i i I didn't really think about it, but I guess a deeper dive could have been uh, could have been interesting. Um, I thought it would have been. I found it strange that like 
like so you have the infinite amount of scott langs but there wasn't a lot of differentiation between them like they all i mean why would just the idea that they'd all be wearing the same ant-man costume like i feel like in the comics when they do things like this they all have a slightly different you know like they when you think about like the spider-verse you know they're all different variation of that character right or in the current run of avengers um you know um they they have an Avengers team from the multiverse and there's different sort of different people playing that, that, that hero or different costumes or different power sets in this, it was just sort of the same Scott Lang, just a lot of him, you know, the, the way that I understood it was, it wasn't like different variations of him, like from different, like multi, I think it was like different versions of him in that moment. So like different choices he uh, could have made. That's how I am. Uh, maybe that's, yeah, that's it. That's an idea maybe. Um, but I did, you know, I, I, I thought that was cool. It looked cool. It definitely, um, looked good. It definitely you know, looked you good. had Baskin Robbins, uh, Scott <laughs> Lang, which I thought was hilarious. And then you had the mult multiple wasps coming and they form in that chain. And I thought that was a great set piece. So I did enjoy that. Um, <clears throat> But let's talk here a little bit about, um, you know, we talked about how, you know, we're talking too much about the movie maybe we would have liked to have seen and not as much about the movie we did see. And that sort of is sort of some of the irritating, I think, criticism around um, this this film. And, um, you know, I think that there's this, this, it's recency bias, I think. I think there's this idea that, you know, every phase of the marvel films have been completely successful and every movie has been expertly executed and now phase four is where they've sort of fallen down um and what do you think of that do you agree that that's been sort of the talk that that all of a sudden now marvel's in trouble what's wrong you know you see, you see headlines what's wrong with marvel what's uh what's happening with marvel what you know is this the end of marvel you know are people tired of superhero movies is there a superhero fatigue what do you think of that uh that conversation i think it's ridiculous uh i i think people just need to wait it out a little bit more they know what they're doing like everyone loved the whole infinity saga up through infinity war endgame all that uh, they they just made spider-man um no way home that was a great movie i think i think people have ex expectations really high because of those like super those big projects and and for some of these more like in between movies they're expecting you know end game and well it's not going to be end game i think what people and i think rightly so i think the criticism is that well i think that the idea is you know the sort of retroactive sort of look back is that you know, from day one, from Iron Man up through Endgame, there was a cohesive story and that Kevin Feige saw, you know, he saw how it was going to end, you know, um, and, and the whole story led up to this uh, crowning achievement of Endgame with all these characters that people loved. And now phase four, either through kind of rushing content out there to serve Disney Plus or because of scheduling issues with um, the pandemic or the fact that you have some new characters that people may not love as much that all of a sudden now it's all falling apart. And, you know, I push back on that because I think again, people forget 
there were plenty of clunkers in all of the previous phases. I mean, yeah. Iron Man 2 is not one of my favorite Marvel movies. I do like it, but you know, Thor 2 is kind of notoriously not really Bad. well thought of. Um, <laughs> you know, there's definite clunkers in there. Um, and you know, adversely, um, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home is one of the best Marvel movies. I think it is one of the most beloved Marvel movies. I think it absolutely delivered on every promise, every aspect. Oh, yeah. And that movie just came out uh, 14 months ago. Yeah. It's not like Marvel's best days are five years in the rear rear window. Um, they just had one of their best movies um, come out 14 months ago. So um, I do think that done right, people will look back in five years from now and say, oh, all right, Marvel kind of got it right. And and, yeah. the, and that they know what they're doing. And, um, and to that point, what do we think they should do moving forward? So I guess we should start talking really about the, um, the two credit stingers, the mid credit stinger. Oh yeah. Um, showed the Council of Kangs, which uh, is taken right from the comic books. In fact, that last scene with all of them in the arena is almost a, a, a recreation of a, a pretty famous comic panel of all the Kangs, and we see um, three of the three of the the, the best known Kang variants. Uh, we see Rama uh, Rama Tep, I believe it is. That is. Uh, Kang when he went back to ancient Egypt and became an Egyptian ruler. Uh, we see Immortus, who is the Kang who exists at the end of all time. And then the third variation, people are kind of debating on who that is. Is it um, Centurion? Is it uh, Iron Lad? So uh, we see all the Kangs. So we see where this is coming and we, we see what, what is coming. So uh, what did you think of that scene? And what does that portend for the future um, of the Marvel Universe? I loved it. Uh, it got me really, really excited. Uh, I think they did it really well. I liked it as an end credit scene. There were the, These were two great end credit scenes, probably two of the best end credit scenes. Yeah, well, let's hold off on the second one for a second. Yeah, but the Council of Kings was good. Again, it shows why Jonathan Major signed up for this role, the idea to play multiple versions of himself. And I think it lends itself to an interesting idea that, you know, everyone is so certain that Kang is the bad guy coming up. But what I do think this film did set up was the idea that really, and again, like so many things, I don't think it paid off on this completely, but the idea that Kang is fighting himself. So who's to say that if done right and done interesting over the next you know, few phases that we don't have Kang fighting with the Avengers fighting against Kang against the Avengers, you know, like right. why wouldn't one variant of a Kang team up with the Avengers to fight another variant? Um, you know, they, they even sort of hinted at that, that the three of them were teaming up with council of Kangs to kind of go after, cause they think Kang prime is dead, but they're not certain. So, I do think the idea that you could do multiple Kangs across time is interesting. Um, let's talk about the uh, post-credit stinger, which in my opinion 
is one of the best that they've had. Um, and I was genuinely surprised by it. I totally did not see that coming. I didn't even think that there would be a tie-in um, with, with the Disney shows. And I was totally blown away by that. And of course, we get, um, you know, it opens up on an old-timey stage. And we see, um, well, we see a Kang up there with sort of uh, kind of turn of the century hair, kind of looks like Frederick Douglass talking about the wonders of time. And then the, the, the perfect kind of surprise, the camera pans to the audience and who's in the audience, Loki and Owen Wilson. Yup. As Morbius, um, of course, the two characters, from one of the better received Disney Plus shows, in my opinion, probably the best. I liked Loki better than even better than WandaVision. Um, and um, it turns to those two characters and it sets up again what I hope is season two of Loki. Now, Victor Timely, who also confirms that, or at least they believe that this is Kang Prime. So, if it follows the comics in the comics, um, Kang Prime goes back in time, not as a variant, but disguises himself as somebody named Victor Timely. And he goes back to 1901, uh, I believe it's Wisconsin, and he starts a city called Timely, Wisconsin. And in that city, he sort of establishes himself as kind of a Thomas Edison of time travel and time mechanism and time manipulation. Um, it's also where he hides his city of chronopolis um which is kind of the center of all time we got got a glimpse of it looked a lot like uh coruscant um but that's where he exists so again i hope that that is season two of loki that they're kind of hunting kang throughout time yes. and they find him in 1901 wisconsin and have to sort of confront him because again I think if you do something and you have Jonathan Majors, Tom Hiddleston, and Owen Wilson all sharing screen space, I mean, I don't see how that can be bad. It has to be good. It has to be. And, you know, it, it sets up this idea of, it. you know, is this going to be the next phase of Marvel? Kind of chasing after Kang through time. Um, you know, how's that going to work? How is it going to play into the other movies? I mean, why is what is this going to have to do with Captain America? Is this right. going to have to do with some of these other, you know, what does this have to do with Blade? And finally, it gets to my last point I'd like to make here today about, you know, some ideas of how Marvel can sort of write the ship that I, I don't necessarily needs think needs writing right away, but could definitely put itself on back on solid ground. And one of those is this idea of you know, not everything has to tie in with everything. So I do hope, you know, Blade maybe doesn't exist in the world of the, the multiverse, you know, and maybe, um, you know, the Marvels and the Guardians are out in space and they don't have much to do with Kang or something. Um, you know, I hope they don't try and jam everything to, you know, why would Kang have anything to do with, with Wakanda right now? Yeah. Um, it does seem like a, a problem for that's going to affect all of Earth, but how they do it is going to be interesting to me, and I hope they think it out. And I think a good sign is, 
you know, Bob Iger has come back to, um, to, to Disney as kind of the CEO. And he has said one of his tenants of this is going to be slowing down the Marvel universe. Um, we're only supposed to be getting two shows this year. We're getting Loki season two and we're getting secret invasion. Yes. Um, there's only going to be three Marvel movies. There's uh, this one guardians coming out in, um, in, in May. Yeah, yeah. And then the Marvels is coming at the end of the year. So with a good season of Loki, um, you know, a guardians movie that really seems to me to be hard to screw up. Um, secret invasion looks interesting. You have good talent behind it. You have good at, you know, um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's in it. We have Olivia Coleman in it. Ben Mendelsohn's coming back as one of the scrolls. You have talent there and the Marvels, you know, you have interesting people involved with it. I don't love Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, but I really enjoyed uh, Miss Marvel, the Disney Plus show. It actually was one of the most interesting ones uh, and one of the ones I liked a lot. And you have uh, Tayona Paris, who uh, we met in WandaVision. I'm uh, excited for her. Yeah, she was great in that. And she's playing uh, Monica Rambo, uh, Photon, I believe. So you've got something that could be real interesting there. So we may find ourselves at the end of 2023 saying, you know, Marvel's back. I hope so. I hope so. I'm excited. I'm excited for what they've got coming up. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting, but uh, it's one of those things where we'll just have to wait and see. Yep. And that's why, why we love this stuff. So, all right, well, uh, let's take a quick break here and then we'll uh, say goodbye here on the uh, WRHS Marvel podcast here. We'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Hey, who's, Hey, it's Colin. You know what? We'll take a break here and then we'll uh we'll get back and we'll check in with uh with a very special guest here, a very a cameo. Even big you know what? We'll have our own post-credit stinger with, uh, yeah. a, with a beloved character that people didn't expect. All right, we'll be right back here on the WHS Marvel Podcast. All right, we're back here. We're just about ready to wrap it up. And just like a Marvel movie, we got a special surprise here at the end. Uh, who who is joining us here, Eric? My roommate, Colin Slavin. Hi. Woo! Colin Slavin, friend of the pod. Colin, did you see uh, Ant Man and Wasp: Quantumania? Unfortunately, I did. <laughs> Unfortunately, Colin's a hater. Colin's an op. Yeah, I hated it. I didn't hate it. I just didn't think it was good. It was too formulaic, and they were just. Pulling random plot lines out of thin air. Wow, you should join us for this podcast. I would like to unpack a lot of your thoughts. Well, I guess we'll never know. I guess not. I guess it'll be. You know what? Much like, much like when people go down into the quantum realm, your thoughts are going to be lost to all of us until we can retrieve them. So, uh, all right. Well, this was a good episode. It was a long one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So for uh, for Mr. Geary, for Eric, for Colin Slavin, this has been the uh, WRHS Marvel Podcast. And uh, we thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Bye. See you soon.